Ladies and gentlemen, this is a big show. That's not the name of the show. The name of the show and the name of the game is The Mental Health Comedy Podcast. We know you have a choice of The Mental Health Comedy Podcast to listen to, and we thank you for listening to this one. I'm Ed Krasnick. I'm your co-host. I graduated the University of Shame in 1996. I was on the depression drill team in high school. Enough said. My partner is Jennifer Kalari. Jennifer will be along in just a minute. Jennifer is licensed. So whatever happens, you know, if there's a lawsuit pending, we can all handle it here. We can handle any eventuality. This is the show where we talk about mental health issues with comedians, with entertainers of all kinds, people in the arts, and we practice mental health skills because mental health contrary to popular belief, is a practice. It is a topic, but it's a practice. You'll know when people are practicing because the world will look different. People will be uh, not doing what they're doing now, in other words. So mental health is a practice. So we, we learn skills, and Jennifer has some amazing ones, some great ones, and some very simple ones because mental health, is a, it, it's a simple practice, but it's not something that we're taught about, and it's not something that we, we often do, and there's always an opportunity to do it. Like right now, I could take a breath. That would be a mental health practice, but I won't because I've had 17 cups of coffee. There's a few things up front we want to talk about. On today's show, I'm, we're really lucky. This, this guy, I've always had a, a warm spot for this, this young man, uh, and I will call him a young man, I am his great-grandfather. This gentleman has one of the world's most popular podcasts and very creative, along with our friend Dave Anthony, and it's called The Dollop, and his name is Gareth Reynolds. And Gareth, uh, I've known him for so many years, knew him when he first got to town and was with the comedy team of Evan and Gareth, Evan Mann, Gareth Reynolds, great comedian, great stand-up, writer, actor, and now host of world-famous podcasts. So Gareth will be joining us shortly to talk about all kinds of things, including my personal shame. Personal space. How do you get it? What do you do with it? Silence as a life skill. We have too much noise, and is there a way to get silence, and what do you do with it when you have it? Because if you're like me, you fill it in with noise or with movies from the 70s. And then faith. What kind of faith do you have? And I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about connection to spirit, faith. Okay, so we'll talk about those kind of things. We always do emotional shout-outs, welcoming in people, whatever emotional state they're in. Here are our emotional shout-outs. If you frequent the International House of Pancakes with your family, welcome. If during the song, Let It Go, you feel emotionally frozen, welcome. If you're under investigation from the Federal Bureau of Insecurity, welcome. If you say thank you after hearing the song, Carry On My Wayward Son, welcome. If your therapist asks, who's your daddy and points to themselves, welcome. If you're doing the hokey pokey to turn your life around, welcome. A lot of songs here. And if you're beating yourself up even now, there's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Podcast. Jennifer, I want to bring you in to talk about these things. And I'm, I'm so concerned about the election. I think a lot of people are anxious about it. I'm very concerned. You know, whenever I allow myself like a minute's silence, just whether it's meditation or whether it's 
just not being plugged into something. I get a sense of peace and a sense of calmness, and I wish I had more of it. How do you teach people that it's okay to practice actually giving themselves some silence? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's funny, Ed, is so many people are afraid of silence, right? The minute it's quiet, your brain fills it in, right, with worry and things to think about. So there's actually a lot of people who don't like silence. So they fill it with noise and shows and whatever they can fill it with. So it's actually a skill and a practice to get comfortable with silence. And people don't always realize that. How do you do that? And also, is that something that, that can be looked at as a mental health skill? I guess taking a pause or just just saying for the next minute, I'm going to actually just be quiet. It, it is definitely. But there, there really are so many, even people listening right now will be like, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That's scary. I think there's a step before that, which is kind of learning how to handle that space and what to fill it with. So if the thought of being completely silent is terrifying, because for a lot of people with nothing to do and nothing to think about, the brain kind of turns on itself, especially really uh, clever, fast moving brains, what we call a Ferrari brain. Comedians have those. So really what you might wanna do is just think of either a mantra, just something that you repeat. You could just, I don't know, have a phrase of something at least say over and over again, even just sitting quietly and doing that over and over again is a first step to being able to handle pure quiet and silence. Do you use mantras in your in your own life? Or I know I know you see so many people, kids, mm-hmm. families, people all over the world. How do you get somebody to find a mantra that actually works for them? What you said is so true. It has to be something that works for them. It, it, what somebody else says may not work for you. And it can be very simple. It can be just saying, I'm okay. It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. It could be something like that. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, deeply intense. Sometimes it's just a sound, like a humming sound. It can be literally just humming in your in your mind. So you're kind of drowning out. It could be something related to your faith, to your religion. It could be a favorite line from a movie. It could be something Yoda says. It really doesn't matter. Wow, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. (laughs) I would love that. I wonder what I'm going to ask Gareth about what his line would be, (laughs) what the movie line would be for him. But the movie line for me would be, I think we're going to need a bigger boat. Um, <laughs> which she talks about how I feel about my own emotions. I think we're going to do, this is a big, but frankly, I don't give a damn. <laughs> That's my relationship with myself. But we said this, uh, teaching people that they can relate to their feelings and thoughts and mm-hmm. actually talk back to them. It's a two-way yeah conversation. It's not just, I'm going to think all of this stuff that's going to cause me a lot of pain, and then I don't get to say anything back. Right. Well, and and here's the thing. It's interesting. You just said it. It's like, never mind, follow the money. It's follow the pain, right? Wherever you have pain, you have, um, there's a program there. Something's been installed into your life, probably from childhood. And most of the things that we, that upset us were actually installed in our brain prior to the age of seven. So around the age of seven, the hardware that the brain builds to actually store long-term memories isn't even there prior to that. So before the age of seven and really closer to six, everything that happened to us, everything alarming or scary or um, really meaningful was literally stored in our limbic system, the part of our brain that regulates emotion. It's like an emotional tattoo. So things might have upset us later on in life, but it's usually hooked up to or connected in some way to that initial time that it was programmed, which is prior to the age of six. And you might not even remember what that is, but your body remembers what that is. So wherever there's pain, 
there's information and that information is something that you need to address and face. You know, emotions are indicators. They're, they're data, they're information. They're there to teach you something. And if you ignore it, the information is going to keep coming. And if you ignore it again, it's going to get louder. So sometimes it's turning and just facing this thing that you're afraid of and staring it right in the eye. And as scary as that sounds, that's usually the answer. What you run away from becomes more powerful. We're never really taught these things. We don't talk about them. We don't have groups where people, you know, talk about, you know, what are you doing with your thoughts and feelings these days? But it wouldn't be a bad idea. And I will tell you something. This is, you know, the election is coming. I've done lots of work with volunteer communities. But I think the one that I had recently was so great. And it was literally because this is a group that teaches you how to listen to people how to engage them and listen to their their needs, what they want in a country, what they want in their lives, what they're going through. And it's called People's Action. I love that. They want you to get on one call with somebody and talk to them for 20 minutes. They don't want to rush you. Mm-hmm. They call it deep canvassing. And they try to teach you to ask people questions about what their lives are like and what they want and what's important to them and to draw them, them out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're connecting. And it's so interesting. It's like, that's a connection that we need to have with ourselves. It's a connection Mm -hmm. that we need to have with each other. If you think that the system doesn't work in America, what's the next system? Give me the next thing that needs to work. You know, I know it doesn't work. Okay, here's how it's going to work. People are going to talk to each other. And they're going to gather in communities and they're going to they're going to they're going to connect with what's important to them. I love that because I bet you no matter what side you're on, people love this country. They want things to get better. They want people to feel safe. Everybody wants to feel safe and happy and free. That's what everybody wants. So ultimately at the top, we all want the same thing. It's just very messy at the bottom. It's a systematic situation. And the way it happened, I think, is that people gave up their power. Mm-hmm. You know, people gave it up by not relating to each other. Yeah. That's what happened. Well, they, they started, they stopped having conversations and they started having confrontations. That's really like what happens, that. right? There's climate change and then there's something I would call emotional climate change. Mm. And that is something that, need, you know, it needs to happen both ways. Because if you're walking around and you're insane, but you have clean air to breathe, that's not very good. And if you have clean air to breathe and you're working towards having clean air to breathe, but you hate everyone, that's not good either. That's so That's emotional pollution. Absolutely. There needs to be a little bit of, you know, a little bit of balance. Right now, it's probably tipped, it's definitely tipped the other way because, uh, you know, I'm looking at the, the air quality index. I have a, a wristwatch, like a cuckoo clock, and every five seconds, it's a, not good now, not good now, <laughs> not good now. Well, I want to bring on our guest. I'm excited, you know, and I don't often often get excited. Once I was excited in 1984, but now I'm excited again. This is an, a dear friend. I'm really happy he's here. So he's a comedian, terrific stand-up comic, and he's got a special coming out on the 24th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. It's a virtual stand-up special. We're going to find out more about that. And he has a wonderful podcast uh, he's been doing for a long time called The Dollop, which is very creative with uh, Dave Anthony. And I'm sure you've heard of it. It's fantastic. Very funny, informative, just great. And he's been a writer on Arrested Development and Flaked and Hoops and You're the Worst on FX and all kinds of shows. 
and part of the comedy team of Evan and Gareth, Gareth Reynolds. Gareth, are you still here? Uh, Ed, I'm here, baby. Hello. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, Gareth, now, first of all, what would you do if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk? No. What is going on with you right now emotionally? Where are you at? Because I've listened to the show, and I know that politically this is not a great time. But where are you at personally, like emotionally? How would you rate your mental health right now? Well, I think I started this whole, you know, the pandemic shutdown isolation aspect pretty well for a good while. I think partially because I, you know, have been traveling and on the road so much. So I haven't really like so I do, I've just gotten very used to like spending a lot of time alone as as I'm sure, you know, Ed, as I know, you know. Yeah. You know, when you go on the road and stuff, I mean, you, you know, if you're doing a weekend at a club, I mean, you really you have a lot of downtime. And so I think I'm pretty comfortable in isolation. And I am even starting to now go, OK, this is just really shitty. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it definitely starts to wear on you. So, yeah, I mean, I'm at the point where I miss doing things. I miss being social. I miss seeing people. And and then I think you also look at sort of the state of the country and it really is the first time in my lifetime where I'm like, well, no matter what happens, there's going to be, there's going to be, it's not, you know, bad things are going to happen in some, in some way, there'll be some sort of blowback. So I guess I'd give myself about a seven right now, I'd say, which is pretty good. That's actually very good. That's very. Uh, Jennifer, did I do than... okay with a seven? You're the professional. Yeah, yeah, that's great. No, fairly that, irrelevant on this. That, that pretty much sums it up. It really what if does. I was lying and it was more like a six? <laughs> Well, it'd probably be better for the country, but but it's but what's what, what's important for you because we're all going to compare ourselves, right? That's yeah. part of the yeah. I don't know if you do that, but I I'm comparing myself to everybody, and, and nothing good comes of it. I do it to the Rock often on Instagram, and it's not healthy. Well, you're similar though when you think about it. I mean, besides wanting to be called the Rock, I think that's where the similarities end, Ed. I mean, I I love where your head's yeah. at, but it just I can't find another similarity. You're you're an action hero. You're an action figure. You can you know you you can transform. You're a shapeshifter. I'm a shapeshifter. That's fair. That is definitely okay. I heard a, a really interesting episode of the dollop with your mom and Dave Anthony, where you were talking about uh, Hitler's cousin. I think. Mm-hmm. 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 I thought it was very interesting that you you were able to share these things in front of your mom. What did you learn from your mom growing up about, you know, your emotions and how to take care of your, your feelings? Like what, what, what kind of stuff did you learn from her? I mean, when she I sounds pretty cool, actually, she's a nightmare. No, no, she's fantastic. I, my <laughs> okay, mother okay. Is, is great. I mean, and the, and the idea that she sits on in the dollop is like, she's in town. I mean, this is when we would record in a studio together. She would be in town and she would just come in and she would have no clue either. And she would just sort of sit there. But, but yes, we have a very, very very great relationship. I mean, I learned a lot. I, I don't know how much was really imparted as far as I think it was more action based, which is why I love The Rock so much. He's very action based. Oh, sure. But but my parents had a very difficult uh, marriage. And, you know, I there I, my father was not in my life for probably about four or five years. And so it was really just my mother and I. And you know, I think I just, I think I learned so much from that time. You know, I learned, I saw my mother's strength and yeah, resiliency. And, uh, and then I think I also learned from that, that, 
you know, when things do feel and seem hopeless, that if you're able to kind of just keep your head up as much as you possibly can, that good things will come along again and that it's, you know, there's there's cycles. And, and that's proven true throughout my life and my career, you know, where, where you, you have major ups and major downs and you just kind of, you can't get rocked by either too much, you know. That's that's very that's a very um, healthy I think pretty healthy attitude. You've always struck me as sort of an upbeat kind of person. Is it caffeine mainly, or what would you Ed, say? I don't drink caffeine, so how about that? Oh my God, what's wrong with you? Well, is it is it is it <laughs> is Jennifer. it Jose? Yeah, well, exactly. Jennifer knows immediately. Yeah. She she's <laughs> forming a theory right now. She's got notes on a pad. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, good lord! I've already written a page. Yeah. yeah, no, she knows. Well, what do you what do you think? Is there is there something that you struggle with in particular, or something that you wish you could uh, improve upon or change? Something that trips you up? If if you had talked to me a year ago when things were, for lack of a better term, normal, I would have said that there wasn't a lot. I mean, I was I've been very career oriented, and I think that is mainly because I mean everything feels fleeting and the entertainment business. You know, even when even when you hear good things or have good things, there's just a lot of unpredictability within it. And so, I think I've been very professionally focused because I feel like I had to be having, you know, rolled with the punches on so many levels as as so many of us do. And so I think there, you know, the thing I think as I get older that I am still trying to kind of piece together is intimacy with someone else. Like, you know, I, I by design have been kind of independent and single for a long time. And then I think I'm at getting at the point now where I am, you know, and this is such a bad time to try to have intimacy with someone. But yeah, I mean, I think on that level, that is something that still kind of eludes me. It's, it's not something that I pine for in any way, but it is certainly something that I now look at as something that I would, I would feel a little more completion in my life probably with something like that if there was someone more to share it with, you know. Well, Jay, let me turn to Jennifer now and just say, I mean, during this time, especially, the world is in a panic, right? So how do we how do we how do we look at things like intimacy in, in in today's in today's world and how do you get people to open up at a time when everything is shut down? It's unprecedented times, really. But human beings, we're social beings. Like we really we really feel good when with when yeah. with our, with our people, right? So and we're all all of us are here because somebody loved us, somebody fed us, somebody picked us up and helped us when we cried. Like we're all here. Mine was Ed, to be fair, Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> well, good. I can see why. Yeah. So, but here's the thing: like, we're going to crave that anyway, and we're going to find different ways to get it. That's what's so amazing about human beings. That's why we're just awesome. We just find ways to do it. And people are dating. People are meeting people. And in some ways, I think. I mean, the pandemic's been terrible in so many ways, but it's also, I think, brought us down to ground level in terms of being real in a lot of ways. A lot of the fakeness and the veil, and like, if people are just a little bit more down to earth, which is really great. I mean, I do love that. So people are people are finding a way. And, and the truth is when you're at peace with yourself, the most important relationship in your life yeah. is the one between you and you. So when that's sorted out, it makes a space for meeting someone. It really does. And then it just kind of comes. It, it, it's certainly tricky, but people are doing it. There's all kinds of love stories. 
but people meeting in, in all kinds of ways and going on, you know, masks, you know, dates with their mask outside. And I don't know, they're finding ways people, the heart is very strong and, and there's such a strong connection between us. We'll find it. And one of the neatest things about the pandemic is we just keep finding different ways to solve all kinds of problems. Everybody looks like Zorro on a date, which I don't, you know, which I think is fun. You know, Gareth, I don't want to put you on the spot, but years ago, one of the things I loved was Evan and Gareth used to do, they would do relationships where they would sort of pretend that they, you know, they would roll reversal with uh, with a woman and they would dress and dress up like a woman. And they would do what I used to look at as some of the most honest <laughs> and funny questions that they would ask each other. And I guess, Gareth, if you were to tell me something about, you know, a date that you had uh, with Gareth. Maybe there's some information there. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, if yeah. I were to say to you, like, if I were to call you Audrey, mm-hmm. and, I w- and I were just to say, Audrey, now, you've been out with Gareth a few times. A few times, yep. What's your evaluation? I mean, is this somebody that's, you know, that's serious about, you know, getting close? What do you, what do you pick up from him? I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out a little bit because I think he's hard to get to know. There's always a joke. And then I'm kind of like, what's behind the joke? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> now, Audrey, <laughs> let, let me just ask you, though. Now, you... I have so, a deep laugh. On your, on your first date, so he was filling in with... He was doing jokes and trying to make you a laugh. A lot of bits. A lot of bits. Anything that landed? Some good bits. Yeah. <laughs> Some, now, some winners, what, some losers. Some winners and some losers. Yeah. Now, what what did you what do you like most about him? What is it that he's that fun. you enjoy most? He's fun. He just doesn't take himself too seriously. That's good. And what's important to you in a relationship? What are would you if you had like a few things to say? What would you be looking for? A connection, honesty, someone who goes out of their way to make you feel happy, things like that. Yeah, just. General openness, I think, is attractive. You sound like you really understand what you're what you're looking for. I'm easy on the eyes uh, too, by the way. FYI, are you <laughs> mask or are non? You, are you now? Do you wear heavy colognes or perfumes? Because wear, you strike me as somebody. Yeah, I'll wear. I what I do is I do the thing when I have a bunch of sheets from magazines that I've torn out over the years, and I'll just do a little wrister of each one of those. Yeah, you just do a like a roll on. I do, I do a, I dab it on my neck and then I put the paper in between my wrists and almost like I was trying to create a friction fire. I just rub them together. Huh? Okay. And one time I did create a friction fire. I should point that out. (laughs) That's between. Yeah. Not a gender reveal. No. Listen, it's all between you and your maker. Can you describe for us? you know, your dream, like relationship, like what you would be doing, like a per, what's a perfect day or a perfect date? What would it look like? I mean, I would definitely have a change of clothes. So we would start early. We would go do something fun, like squash, (laughs) something I'm not great at, something he's not great at, but something we can build together and get better at together, a thing. And then a squash date. You'd have a squash date. Yes. And then I would love to go for squash after that. Go, (laughs) So play some squash and then go somewhere and have, because they do these squash noodles at a restaurant near me. And if we could go have squash noodles there and then maybe just watch, you know, watch a movie, something light, you know, something not too serious. Everything's so serious now. What would be a perfect movie for you to watch? Maybe the 
third Back to the Future because I'm familiar with it. It's not that good, and you could dip in and dip out. So we wouldn't need to pause it. See, this is the kind of thing. But as funny as this is, and as funny as we, you know, we could talk for hours like this. We did once. You owe me a hundred dollars. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. It's funny. As funny as this is, you know, Jennifer, you talk about rehearsal. You talk about like actual rehearsal. Yeah. Can you mention this again about like what, how okay. you can rehearse situations in your life? Yeah. Well, I was just thinking like there's a lot of people who are listening who are single and it is a crazy time to try and meet people. And we already talked about how the most important relationship is the one between you and you. And once you've got that semi figured out, then it really is about rehearsal. So literally what you do is you imagine right now. So Gareth, you can imagine this right now. She's out there. The person you're going to be with, the person you're going to end up with out there, she's out there. She's driving around. She's going shopping. She's playing squash. She's doing whatever she's doing. And if you just, without any angst, just like smile and just like wish her well, and you will meet when it is time to meet and the universe takes care of these things and that you just like make a space for her right now, even though she's not in your life right now. Um, that's a lovely, lovely strategy. And it's quite effective actually, because it kind of takes the angst away that can sometimes get in the way of, of, of meeting someone and, and creating that, that, um, I don't know. It just takes care yeah. of some of the subconscious stuff that gets in the way. And then you can just imagine the two of you doing, you know, watching a movie like that and goofing around and, and not like when you're imagining things and there's a lot of angst in it, like, Oh, that would be so good. And, oh, it'll be so great when I have that. That's the wrong energy. It has to be a peaceful kind of, yeah, it's a Sunday morning and you're just hanging around together. You're going for a walk. You're just doing normal things and, and really try to just stay in that space and then just kind of watch what happens. It's, it's honestly the most amazing dating advice. It really does work. I also think, you know, I, I think to your point about being comfortable with yourself, you know, that is, I do feel a lot of the times that that's a real luxury because I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I have a lot of friends who... I think have the opposite where they have they're mm -hmm. they're incomplete and think that self-completion comes through a relationship. And I think I've always just been very wary. It never does. It yeah. Never does I've always been very wary of that because I think that's exactly what my parents were. I think my parents were mm -hmm. two people who, you know, just got together because that was what you did and you expected life to kind of unfold via that. And it's a cover for, for work on yourself, but it's also, I think it feels good at the time. So, so yeah, I'm just on the other end of the spectrum, but I think that's very sound advice. And I, I do try to be very open like that and certainly have no sense of rushing into, into it. I want the right thing at the right time. Yeah, that's lovely. And that's why the right person will yeah. come, right? Because you're not looking to someone to complete you and you, you're not, you're not sort of hanging onto it with this state of yeah. fear. Right. Anytime we, you know, you can never control conditions in life. You said that at the beginning with all the ups and downs, and that's true in the entertainment business, but also in life. Um, you can never control the conditions, but you can always control your emotional response to the conditions. And so if you, if you are uh, hoping that someone else is going to complete you, that you make your happiness exist, you know, uh, um, conditional on another person, that's a dangerous formula. Yeah. I mean, you're always going to be affected by other people for sure. But it, it really is this the the pro the best project you'll ever have is is your is you right and I don't mean that in a selfish way it's true I haven't dated for for many many years but I was always the kind of person who used to be it was too much too soon so you talk about lines from movies that would be a mantra I remember going out on a date once and my first the first thing I said to my date was you complete me oh my lord Ed. <laughs> 
And that <laughs> is putting it too far. Yes. You know, that's yeah. right. <laughs> that's, is that's, that too much? That's too, yeah. Right. That's yeah. Too that's much. too much. I, I mean, Jennifer, you could speak to this, but I've always thought less is more, you know, you can feel these things, but you got to cork it for a minute until the time is right a little bit. Yeah. You just have to have that little bit of balance. And it's funny, it it really comes down to something very simple. When you're, when you're approaching anything, whether it's dating or anything in your work from a place of fear and angst and like, um, I don't want to say desperation, but when it's that intense, the other person's going to pick up on it. They just are. It's just going to be emotional noise. But when you approach it from a really calm kind of place of love and whatever happens, happens, I'm just going to trust myself here. This is where we talk about faith a little bit. It, you, more things will come to you. Anytime you try to hold on to something too tightly, it, the, the opposite is going to happen. It's, it's really important to kind of just relax. And I know it's easier said than done, but angst and fear causes us a lot of problems in life in, in terms of relationships, for sure. Again, using imagination, which is not something that, you know, when people are in a panic or in survival mode, you don't use your imagination that much. You imagine what you don't want. You imagine yeah. the worst, right? So I think imagination, using it for what you want, how you want to feel and having that feeling is something that anybody can practice any time. And it actually changes your outlook. It changes the world. We, we speak about it, but it's really, it's a simple thing, but it's really powerful. You can actually think, you could think about what kind of country you want and you could imagine mm-hmm. that. Very few people do. They think about the fact that nothing's working. Well, that's what we do as humans. All we do all day long is focus on the things we don't like and we don't want which really makes no sense to take that energy and put it into what we do like, what we do have that we like, and what we do want is actually, you're just going to feel better. Anyway, you're going to interact with everyone in a, in a healthier way. And the thing about imagination and practice is it's really all about kind of tricking the brain a little bit. So the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that takes perspective and inhibits and organizes and prioritizes and all of that stuff. The limbic brain is very primal. It, It runs a survival program and that's it. The more you practice imagining that you've been on a bunch of dates and they've all gone really well and it went, you know, you had easy conversation. It was all very pleasant. The more you practice that, the limbic system is actually not very smart. It's the frontal lobe that's smart. The limbic system can't tell the difference between something you've imagined, a memory, and something that's actually happening. It's, it's all the same thing. So the more you mentally practice things, the more your brain actually thinks it's a memory or you've done it already. So it immediately reduces the survival program and makes you go into that date a little calmer than you would have if you hadn't been practicing in your head. That's how I convinced myself I was part of the moon landing. Well, okay. And then, and then you, you did land and it was one, it was a large step for me. Yeah. In that case. I felt Um, like it. I tripped a little too. Well, it's a tough, it's, they think it's a fine powder and that's the joke. It's actually a choppy sand. Um, they say, they say it's more of a fine powder there and they're tricking you, of yeah. course, you know, and Walter Cronkite had to change five shirts that night and I was actually there. So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the story, the crazy story about the guy who there was a kid who wanted to go to a concert and he, he lived across from this other kid and he said, you know, I'll let you go to the concert. The mother says when the kid across the street walks on the moon and that kid was Neil, was Neil Armstrong. Oh, <laughs> it's actually actually supposed to be a true story, but I don't know. Now, Gareth, tell 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 us about a little bit about the dollop and a little bit about what you've learned since doing that oh, show, man. because 
it's really interesting that that Dave takes a story from history, from American history, and then you react to it. You react to the details. But all the stories are sort of about the human part of the like the personal histories of people, right? Yeah, um, we we discovered very quickly that I that Dave had this passion for history, and I had no knowledge of history. And then so we just were like, okay, we'll lean into that. And and so Dave prepares a story every week, and then he reads it to me, and I don't have any idea what he's going to talk to me about. And then I sort of process it, and yeah, make jokes, and you know, do do silly voices and things. And um, yeah, and it is. And then Dave Dave's perspective on it is certainly comes from injustice and there's a lot of that in our history so you know for the there's some episodes that are just simply crazy there are some episodes that are about a you know the action of a time but a lot of times it is about people and and you know how people have been stifled and how you know the the country's issues with racism and sexism and every ism and how we can't seem to get over ourselves and how similar everything is that's happening today is to another time. Mm -hmm. You know, like we've been through so many versions, even of Trump-ish times, as crazy as it sounds. You know, we obviously it gets a little crazier and crazier as time goes on, but there's real relatability in our history. And yeah, and I think it, it certainly, it cracks open your empathy further and further because you know, you hear the struggles of people who just wanted to do what's right. And when it doesn't work out for someone who just wanted to do what's right. And, you know, how many of these people have sacrificed themselves over the years? And then and then what happens when change does happen? And then what happens when it's taken away? And how, you know, really what we're all, I think, the like-minded people in the majority of the country is sort of, you know, I think idealistically looking for just some version of equality and that that would really, really help a lot of people and a lot of us and and just make for a, for a better society. And then you have the really the, the corruption of our government officials constantly getting in the way of that, you know. Well, what happened, you know, I think what happens, too, though, is is like evolution wise in terms of how much we know about how our brain works. Jennifer speaks about this, how to drive your brain, how to direct your brain in a way that you can actually that it's useful to you yeah. because we don't have education about how we relate to our thoughts and feelings and what goes on in our heads. We're reacting all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, if this happens, then I'll feel this way. And if that happens, then I'll feel that way. And so you, you multiply that by a billion people walking around yeah. and governments and you have insanity. Yeah. You basically have insanity. And that has revolved around again and again. I don't know why people aren't taught, you know, more about how their brain works and how to use it. And it's like, oh, they found that there might be some information contained in the brain, you know, after five million years of evolution. Maybe there's something in the brain that we should pay attention to. So, I, I, you know, I think that that part of it is very something that that really bears education and bears practice and bears examination and the worst thing that can happen the worst thing that can happen is you're going to feel better i think that's so true i i really i've honestly never even really thought of that but yeah if you were told early in existence about your Mm -hmm. relationship with your own thoughts and brain how helpful that would just be to have a little bit of shape and what that relationship is early, I think would be so valuable. 
Yeah. Honestly, I think it would change everything. I mean, it sounds so simple, but if each person, each person just worked on being the fabulous person they want everyone else to be, we'd be in a much yeah. better place. We yeah. really would. I, I think we run into that on, on our show all the time where you just sort of say, the answer is so obvious. What was the issue yeah. that, you know, was put in front of us to not get there? Because, you know, I think by design in some way, we are an easier to control people when we're worried. And that's and they've been sort of, of playing that fiddle for centuries, really, you know. And by the way, I the years ago I had to do um, I had to do something research. I had to research Steve Jobs, and so I went back into the vaults and I saw his first interview on CBS, and nobody knew what the personal computer was. Right. And he came on and he said, "This is called the personal computer. It's going to be in everyone's home." It will be very seductive. Everyone will want to have one. He didn't say it's going to change the world. He didn't say it's going to revolutionize education. He didn't say it's going to be the biggest tool to help your life. He said it will be very seductive and everyone will want one. That's coming from Steve Jobs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what is it for? You know, uh, like a teacher I used to have said, he said, you know, piano, the, the piano is the machine. You're the instrument course he was a football coach so i don't know what he, what he was talking about but but at any rate that's really important yeah. you know that it, that it comes back to very simple very simple things and taking a breath could change your perspective mm-hmm. i i think that very quickly that is one of the lessons i've learned over the years very well is time to give yourself time to give situations time to not try to solve things that won't be solved in the moment in the moment because you just have to have a comfortable relationship with some time. And I think that is one thing that it's never as bad as it feels. It's never as good as it feels. Do you find that on a stage? Because because I, you know, years ago, I knew a lot of the older comics and they would ask me, like I knew Milton Berle and I knew Jerry, I knew all these guys. And, and I, they said, why are you rushing? Yeah. Like, why is your generation so, why is it so important for you to, to rush on stage? They said, I don't get it. Of course, they weren't part of the, you know, they didn't start on TV, but still I worked with those guys and they would walk around the stage for a minute before they even started to talk. It, it <laughs> took, it, it, I mean, that's a learned skill in stand-up, I think that, but absolutely one of the things that you really is a tool is being comfortable on stage in silence and not worrying too mm-hmm. much about uh, taking a minute to just not have anything to say. And I think people are comforted by that. And I, th- and it's a hard thing to fabricate too. I remember when I was like, just pretend you can take time, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's not uh, authentic. And so, yeah, when you are up on stage and you know, if it doesn't go well, it doesn't go well. If it kills, give it a second, but either way you can totally be patient and not rush. And you know, it, each show is its own thing in a weird way, you know? Well, I was just going to say, you started out saying that right right at the early part of the show, you were talking about how you know, things go up and down and there's this wave to things. And it's so important, whatever moment, I really want people to hear this, whatever moment you're in, and you said it so beautifully a moment ago, these are all just moments in time and whatever it is, it will pass, right? And it's like waves on the sand, you're on the crest and then it, and then it hits the sand and then it crests again, and then it hits the sand. And so if you, if you put so much into every moment, you're going to exhaust yourself and you're going to get overwhelmed. But if you just in the moment say, this is great and it is great, I'm going to enjoy it while it's great. And then something's going to change. And then when it's 
rough again. It's these are all contrasts. They're contours. How boring would life be? I mean, obviously, take out big tragedies, but for the most part, how boring would life be if if it was the same every day? Would you play a video game or watch a movie where nothing actually happened, where there was no peaks and valleys in the storyline yeah. at all? No, you'd fall asleep. You wouldn't recognize what great is because it would not have. No, it would. You'd have nothing exactly. to compare it to. You need the yeah. contrast. You need those yeah. contours. And you have to value them when they happen. What's my lesson? What am I learning? And how am I going to appreciate when this is over and when something better happens? It's huge. It, these are really important things. I would love, and I teach kids this when I work with children and I work with parents around parenting. Growing up with this knowledge is huge. It's a superpower, really. The things that challenge us are, can turn into superpowers. And that takes us back mm -hmm. to the rock again. Which one? Because Me or the, the other guy? Well, I the think of fellow. you as the rock. Thank you. I, you I, that man is an impossible. You're one of the few people me. who's stuck by that gun, by the way, and I I just appreciate the hell out of it. Well, when people say, "How's Gareth doing?" I always say, "You mean the That's, rock?" Ed, this is why <laughs> I love you so much. You're my rock. You're a rock who's on a roll, hey. and I've said that many times, and that's why I'm where I am in life. No, that's why I'm where I am now. <laughs> Before we let you go here, I want to ask you about the show that you have coming up on the on the twenty fourth. What is that? What's the deal with that? What is that going to be about? Well, it sounds like you're doing stand up about this show that I'm doing uh, with the what's the deal I with am. the what's the deal talk. Like, what's the deal with it? Like, why is this? Why is this? A why are thing people now? doing it? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be like a great host who would say, like, so what's the what, what's going on with that? Now? Why are we doing this? Um, yeah, what's going it's on? It's crazy. Uh, I'm doing a. I mean, you know, uh, you cannot do live performance anymore. So I um, I do a weekly improvised stand up show for my place every Thursday on YouTube at YouTube uh, backslash Gareth Reynolds TV. But then this, what this is on the 24th is actual written material. Before everything collapsed, I, I went on the road and I did two weeks of probably like 14 shows in Australia. And I just recorded my album before that. So I have, you know, I have new material that I want to keep performing. And so, um, so this is just going to be a virtual stand-up show and people can get tickets at a place called rushticks.com. And yeah, there's a, just I'll be talking into the void, which is, seems to be the new audience. It sounds like fun to me. That'd be that'd be great. You've got so much stuff going, including the dollop, and then there's another podcast that you're doing. We have a podcast with Evan Mann, who's uh, my still my writing partner after all these years, and we do a podcast called Point versus Point. And then yeah, there's also uh, the dollop and the dollop, and you can find all of that on GarethReynolds.com on the on the website there too. GarethReynolds.com. I want to tell everybody out there, Jennifer has a million skills. She has a million things that she that she does. She has podcasts. She has uh, courses, all kinds of things. And her organization is called ConnectedParenting.com, ConnectedParenting.com. You can find out so much more about the vast uh, nature of things that she does there. And I want to ask you all to subscribe. And, you know, in French, I'll say subscribe a vous. Lovely. If you'll pardon my French. And you can find us at Make Light Media, M-A-K-E-L-I-G-H-T, one word, media.com. And I also want to do a little call to action here. Uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever done vision boards or you've ever done things like that, but one of the things that is readily available to people so they don't have to carry it is writing down things that you fear, your, like your top 10 fears and your top 10 things that you love. And you put a line down the middle of a page. You have even neuro neuroscientists have said this. You have a crap board, 
and then you have a vision board and it goes together. You have to accept both sides. I would like to ask you to write to us at makelightmedia.com. Send us your top 10 fears and your top 10 loves. We'll read them and someone's going to walk away with one billion dollars. Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay. Not me, but someone yeah. will. Uh, I didn't say it would be related to the show. Someone's going to walk away with $1 billion. So please subscribe. And Gareth, I can't thank you enough. It's, it's such thank a Oh, my Gareth. pleasure, truly. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'll see you at the premiere. That's got to be your sign. I will see you at the premiere and give my love to Evan, too. And uh, keep coming back at Works If You Work It. I'm Ed Krasnick for Jennifer Kalari. Take care of yourselves. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.